This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hello, this is Robert Wagner, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential. Radio talk show about television that will play audio highlights from the recent ceremony at the Hollywood Museum that celebrated the 40th anniversary of Knott's Landing. Knott's Landing, the long-running CBS primetime soap that began as a spinoff of Dallas, but actually preceded Dallas in creation. The Hollywood Museum has just unveiled a brand new lobby exhibit that pays tribute to Knott's Landing on the unveiling ceremony. Featured remarks by Michelle Lee, Joan Van Ark, and Donna Mills. We'll play highlights of the unveiling ceremony later on in this hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. Our second hour will include a replay of a conversation with Ida Lupino biographer Mary Anderson that includes audio highlights from one of the very last interviews that Ida Lupino gave, in which Ida talks about, among other things, her friendship with Humphrey Bogart. Ida Lupino's birthday is February 4th. We hope you stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, we'll begin the program with a segment that we happened to record just a few hours after this year's Oscar nominations were announced this past Monday, January 13th. The nominees for the Academy Award for this year's Best Picture include Once Upon a Time, in Hollywood, the love letter to 1969 Los Angeles that also earned nominations for Best Actor Leonardo DiCaprio, Best Supporting Actor Brad Pitt, and Best Director and Best Original Screenplay nominations for Quentin Tarantino. Joining us now via Skype is Ian Nathan. Ian is one of the best-known film writers in the UK. He writes for... The Times, The Independent, The Mail on Sunday, and other leading publications. Ian is also the author of eight books, the latest of which examines the entire body of work of Quentin Tarantino. It is our good fortune to say welcome to TV Confidential, Ian Nathan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is probably an obvious way to lead off today's conversation, but are you surprised at all? that Once Upon a Time did so well with the Oscar nominations, and how do you think it'll do? Uh, I'm not greatly surprised, because simply there's been a great build-up uh, surrounding Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, obviously, the film was very well received in the summer. It got great reviews. It was seen as something of a, a great comeback for, for Quentin Tarantino. The hate rate hadn't been as successful as some of his films. And so there was Oscar talk already, and you know how these Oscar things work. They kind of like read signs in the sand, and if one award ceremony gets in this, and then it kind of leads on and on and on. And so when it came to the nominations, I think it was certainly expected to do very well. But I think on one level, I think you can say it's very deserved, because I see what the kind of Hollywood is, you know, Quentin, I think said it, he's a love letter to, to movie making and to the city where he's grown up and the world of movies that's filled him you know, since he was a child. And so in some senses, I think it's, it's the perfect Oscar film from the world of Tarantino for the Academy. Um, how do I think it's going to do? Well, 
you know, these are the great debates at this time of year. I certainly think Brad Pitt will win Best Supporting Actor. I think it was fabulous in the film. I think it was one of his warmest, most beguiling performances. And it's kind of the, the heart and soul of the whole film. Um, DiCaprio, I'm not so sure. I think he's got stiff competition in, in the Best Actor category. And as for the film itself, you know, it's quite an open thing this year in the Oscars. Normally we kind of know which way they're going to lean really ahead of time. And I think 1917 was looking like it might be the film to beat, but you never know. Um, and that thing I think is, is a disorational screenplay, the work of poetry, the, the actual screenplay. But will he win director? Will he win best film? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, only time will tell, and a lot of it has to do with lobbying and, and, and promotion and marketing and this, that, and the other thing, which are things beyond our control, but is nonetheless fun to speculate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Ian Nathan is with us via Skype. Ian's books on film include Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work, an in-depth and informative new book that examines the entirety of Tarantino's career up to and including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work available through White Lion Publishing an imprint of the Quarto Group. You can find it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned that Once Upon a Time is kind of a comeback for Tarantino. In a way, it kind of brings him back to his roots because he began sort of as this outsider who became embraced by Hollywood and the mainstream. And then obviously the hateful eight didn't do so well. So, so he's back to being an outsider again. Yeah, I think that's true. I think. It's such an L.A. film with one in Hollywood. Tarantino kind of grew up in L.A. And his whole kind of background was infused with the city. And, you know, and, and, you know, he dreamed of being an actor. He dreamed of becoming a filmmaker. He worked at the video archives, the famous video store, where he just bought nothing but movies. Mm -hmm. So in some senses, uh, once we come to Hollywood, it's, it's his most personal film, I think. You know, it's his reflection of an era of, of uh, filmmaking and of Hollywood itself, that was very important to him. The new Hollywood arriving, the studio system disappearing, the end of the 1960s, you know, was a pivotal era. It was kind of the, the end of a dream in some senses. And also, it's, in its own poetic way, I think, Hollywood is grasped kind of Tarantino's fundamental belief in films. It's a religion for him. And like all religions, you believe it can change the world. And he believes movies can rewrite history. Without wanting to spoil the film for anyone who's not seen it yet, <laughs> there are elements of make-believe yes. that he thinks movies can do. You know, it's once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. It's a fairy tale. Yes, it is a fairy tale, and yet it has elements of Tarantino that he has come to be known for. Uh, and again, not to... Not to give away too much of the film for, for those listeners who haven't seen it yet, but the climactic scene 
it, it is Tarantino-esque in that it is, uh, you know, over-the-top, almost cartoon-like portrayal of violence. It is disturbing. And yet, as I watched the film and my colleagues watched, you know, the film with me, it, in a way, we found ourselves breaking out into laughter and applause, e- even yeah. at the over-the-top depictions of gun, you know, gunfire that, that were played up before us. Yeah, yeah. It, what makes it all so interesting, you know, in a Tarantino way, is that for you know for two hours, it's been this most leisurely kind of romantic depiction of the life of an actor in LA and his kind of go-to buddy. It's that hangout movie, Tarantino called it. You know, you just hang out with the characters. Mm-hmm. These wonderful scenes of cars driving around the streets of LA to Neil Diamond. You know, it's it's you almost no plot going on, yet it's there hovering in the background because you know the story of Polanski, you know the story of Sharon Tate, the dreadful you know things that happened with you know, the hippie gang that came for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of when you feel a sense of bread building up. And I I kind of like you. My reaction to the ending was one of hilarity, outrage knee-jerk shock, um, a wondering whether it was distasteful mm-hmm. in the level of extreme violence, what it was attempting to do. But ultimately, I found it cathartic. Yeah. I came out of really thinking, that's kind of what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I know all the places it took me were very dark, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed that. Too. Maybe it's something about me, I don't know. But well, I think you know, understand something very primal about the way we watch movies. Yeah, and, and again, not to give too much away, but knowing what actually happened, it's sort of Tarantino's way of, okay, this is what I would like to have seen happen, and I think a lot of us as moviegoers shared that same emotion. Oh, absolutely, and... You know, the depiction of, you know, Margot Robbie's performance as as Sharon Tate, you know, is almost angelic Mm -hmm. in the film. You know, she sort of walks through the film looking beautiful and a little kind of amazed at the world, totally innocent. And I think that's probably a very exaggerated portrayal of Sharon Tate, but that's entirely deliberate. She's got to be this kind of spirit, this kind of ideal that sort of, that the whole film is trying to maintain. You know, I think what is sort of getting at is the kind of the dream that Hollywood presents that he wants to preserve. You know, he almost wants to refile history, you know, and reality somewhere else and let movies live on. I mean, it's what uh, in Glory of Masters, in its more maybe extreme way we were doing a few years ago. And I think maybe we can we can give away the fact that in Glorious Bastards, you know, he kills Hitler. Uh-huh. And um, you know, and that was a mad decision to do. But what he's sort of saying is that. In the realm of movies, the world can be made right. History's great sins can be corrected because movies are a dream. Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work available through White Lion Publishing and Imprint at the Quarto Group. You can find Ian's book at Amazon.com as well as wherever fine books are sold. Ian Nathan, our guest today, speaking to us uh, live via Skype from the UK. Now, we mentioned the word Tarantino-esque. Now, Tarantino himself has said or claims that he doesn't know what Tarantino-esque means. What do you, uh, what, what do you consider Tarantino-esque, Ian? Well, that's, 
that's a, a very big question. I mean, essentially, that's what the book was all about. Mm-hmm. What is Tarantino-esque? And I think on one level, certainly when we first were introduced to it with Reservoir Dogs and then Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. we got that kind of blast of, you know, Tarantino style in the early 90s. For a lot of us, it was about it was about Los Angeles. It was about movie references. It was about his kind of incredible knowledge he carried with him. It just kind of spilled out of it, almost kind of unconsciously, what he wrote and how he directed, this kind of sense of the world of movies within him. And it's not just classics. You know, he knew everything. Yeah. Rotation film, Chinese cinema, Hong Kong, French New Wave. You know, he was versed in every element of cinema, and that all came spinning through his, his films. Plus, they were, they were you know, plays on classic American genres. So it was private eye films, it was crime movies, it was heist movies, but all done at this kind of strange back-to-front mode. You know, it, it was all about talking. Yeah. All about the bits in between the bits. You know, it was hitmen arriving at a crime scene. It wasn't the crime scene. You know, it was what happened after a, a boxer took a fall in Pulp Fiction and not the actual fall itself. Right. It's a bit in between. It was strangely sort of ironic, but fascinating. This is going back 25 years. One of my mentors, uh, one of my writing mentors was a very successful producer in television. And uh, I was interviewing him uh, for one of my book projects around the time that Pulp Fiction was originally released. And at one point in the middle of what we were doing, he brought up Tarantino and he said, if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, if you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, rent them or go to the movie because Tarantino is a master at dialogue. And regardless of what they're saying, his characters, they can't help but say interesting things. I know that's not a question. That's a conversation. (laughs) But... No, no, I know what you mean. In a sense, you know, the, the heart of what Tarantino does, mm-hmm. and he writes all the scripts by hand, does it with felt tips, is dialogue, is conversation. It's how he kind of developed as a, as a cineast was that he was at video archives with all these kind of like-minded kind of movie obsessives. And they would spend all day just talking about films, talking and talking, talking, these kind of great riffs they developed. And he's such a sponge, an extraordinary memory such a sponge for that kind of dialogue and what he was watching. He took all those kind of conversations they had and all the kind of the modes and rhythms, the kind of the swearing and the jokes, and he kind of imbued them into the world of his film. People in Tarantino movies talk in this way, a bit like Tarantino and their buddies talk. Yeah. It has a kind of informality to it, but obviously, obviously rich and poetic and funny. So he kind of mixes things. And somewhere along the line, I think... Something moving happens within that. We come to understand these characters, and they might be archetypes. They might be hitmen or boxers or criminals, you know, right through to kind of soldiers and, and cowboys and all the kind of different things he plays with. But fundamentally, they seem very real to us because of the way they interact. They feel like they have normal conversations, as mad and rambling as they might be, and kind of very kind of pop cultural. Yeah, and moving. Yeah, I think by relationships. Very much so. Uh, They're about relationships, and they're talking about the things that you and I talk about 
in our ordinary day of life, even though their ordinary day of life would may, maybe hitmen or drug smuggling yeah. or, or, or this, that, and the other thing. And, and while the references to Captain Crunch and a, and a Royale with cheese may seem extraneous, they do help build the character, which ultimately serves the story, which is what you're supposed to do in a good film anyway. Absolutely. And there's this lovely sense of people talking around things. Mm -hmm. You know, I always go back to, to John Travolta and Uma Thurman at, you know, at, at the restaurant together, trying to have a conversation. They end up talking about the milkshakes, they end up dancing, all those kind of things, all those kind of dead movie stars as waiters around them, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of real world. But what fundamentally they're trying to do is work out how they feel about one another. Yeah. What is going on? Is this a date? He's worried because he's his boss's wife. She's kind of intrigued because there's something a bit wild about her. So there's kind of levels in which this kind of is, is operating on. It's kind of intriguing and thrilling. And that's kind of like life, even though it's exaggerated mm -hmm. because it's movie universe. The real world is coming out of it. You know, it's this kind of undercurrent within those films. On the line with us is Ian Nathan. Ian is the author of Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker and his work, an in-depth, informative new book that examines the entirety of Quentin Tarantino's career, including the role that television shows from the 50s and 60s, and in the case of James Best, television icons of the 60s and 70s, played in shaping the Tarantino style. Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work available through White Lion Publishing, an imprint of the Quarto Group. You can also find Ian's book at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. I want to go back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, for just a second, Ian, because I want to touch on a couple of things uh, that I mentioned in our reset. I was not a Quentin Tarantino scholar by any sense of the word. There are things I knew about him. There are a lot of things I didn't know about him, but I learned through reading your book. One thing is I, I knew that he grew up watching, you know, television yeah. shows of the 60s and 70s, as well as living his life in movie theaters. I was not aware that he was named after the character Burt Reynolds played in Gunsmoke. <laughs> it's kind of symbolic, isn't it? Yes. Uh, his mother, you know, Connie... And there's characters called Connie in the films, which had a huge influence on him. Mm -hmm. you know, he grew up with just his mother. He never knew his father. And it was quite, uh, not, not poor, but quite working class kind of youth. And while he wasn't wild, I think he was a bit of a, a tearaway. But um, I, mostly she just found him in front of the, on, you know, in front of the television. Mm -hmm. And realized that he had an extraordinary mind and imagination. You know, right from young, you know, he used to stage small films with using his sort of G.I. Joes and dolls. And this kind of, she'd listen at the door mm -hmm. and she'd hear quite, you know, strong language come out of a room <laughs> strange with his, his own toys, you know. And what she was hearing was the films to come. Yeah. But I think she was very important in that, you know, she was quite a liberal woman and she would take him to see movies when he was he was young, you know. He saw Deliverance. <laughs> <What do you know? laughs> Reynolds movie Deliverance, very dark film. Yeah. When he was nine years old. <laughs> you know, and yeah, anyone who's seen that as an adult is kinda of shocked yes. by Deliverance. So yes. let alone seen it at nine. But you can see all that I mean enormous impression yeah. on, on the young the young Quentin. So I think the mother, you know, Connie is very important. She's kind of guided him and got him, you know, to a place where he aspired. Um, and I think she, she encouraged him to read, and he got very into crime fiction, pulp fiction. So, uh, 
you know, while movies, on the one hand, were kind of his father, Connie was definitely his mother and very important. And often I think, while he doesn't often portray women in his films, when you see those women, you know, um, Pam Greer in Jackie Brown, I think there's a lot of his mother in that woman. Very strong, mm -hmm. self-willed, you know, independent. You know, you look at The Bride in Kill Bill, while she's a kind of comic book character, at the same time, I think there's a lot of his mother in her. I, I think, you know, that admiration he still has for this single woman who brought him up kind of fills many of the characters in his movies. Ian Nathan is with us via Skype as we take a look at the film career of Quentin Tarantino. We'll take a quick time out and we'll talk some more with Ian when we come back on TV Confidential. Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your drivers and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-649-0142. 800-649-0142. That's 800-649-0142. Story Salon is Los Angeles' longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon gemstones of narrative, something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website at www.storysalon.com. Accredited by Guinness World Records, welcome to Archival Television Audio Incorporated. A peerless TV soundtrack archive preserving the audio from television's first three decades, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. The Golden and Silver Age of Television. For more information, go to atvaudio.com. Ed Robertson, along with her friend Donna Allen Figueroa, who I understand has a new book out. Yes, it's entitled Fall Again Beginnings. It's the first part of a four-part contemporary romantic series uh, set against the background of working actors. Something that you know a, little, a thing or two well, about. Well, you write what you know, and I have been working in the business for... Several years. It is not necessarily autobiographical, but it's based on... Sure, many of the experiences that the actors in my book have. Many have happened to me. Many have happened to friends of mine. It's not, if you're looking for Valley of the Dolls, it's not. It's grounded in reality. It is grounded in reality, and it's the first in a series. Yes. Called the Fall Again series. Fall Again. Which is available as a paperback as well as an ebook and in Kindle at fallagainseries.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. 
At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.